He said, to the extent I desire to move through you, you must allow me to cut on you. The Leader's Cut. What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Leader's Cut. This is going to be a fun conversation. If this is your first time joining the conversation, let me just say, welcome to a seat at the table. Here's what we do here. Uh, we pull up a chair to a table where it's you, me, and the God of the universe. And the goal isn't that you would hear me speak. The goal is that you would hear the spirit of the living God speak every time, but especially this time, because I felt several weeks ago, God give me a burden for this conversation, but I didn't have the, the text or the context for it. And it took a little bit of time to get it, but here's the burden. There is something coming. And this is not like some rah-rah. This is almost like grab you by your ears and say, there is a moment coming. There is an opportunity coming that you must be prepared for. And if you're not prepared for it, and God's asking you to step into it, and it's right around the corner. If you're not prepared for it, the weight of the moment is going to crush you. That's why I'm asking the question, can you handle the pressure? How do we handle the pressure? Here's the answer. We prepare for the moment. Let's pray. Pretty sure we're all getting cut on today. So let's just pray and invite the Holy Spirit. Spirit of the living God, thank you, thank you, thank you for being present at this table. We're not just having coffee. We're not just having a meal. We're not just having a drive to work. We're sitting with you. The God of the universe has pulled up a seat to our table and we get to sit at his. It's amazing that you can be seated on the throne and have us seated at your table. Thank you for pulling up a chair. Holy Spirit, would you speak to each one of us? Where we're kind of holding on to some stuff, where we're running from some stuff, where we are overwhelmed and therefore not preparing the way we need to be preparing, wherever we need to be cut upon. Holy Spirit, as the surgeon of heaven, would you, would you just touch our hearts? Would you move among us? Would you get rid of whatever part of my flesh is acting like an obstruction to you? Holy Spirit, we yield ourselves to you. Do whatever you want with this time. More than anything, would you take this time and begin preparing us for everything the Father is asking us to steward? In the coming days. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, peeps. Got a lot of ground to cover on this one. Uh, I'm going to give you some stuff. If you got a Bible, I want you to grab it real fast. And I want you to open to two spots. Uh, open to Acts 7. We're going to start a couple verses there. And then Exodus chapter 2. All right? So we'll start in Acts 7, but we're going to go through some of Acts 2 and uh, of Exodus 2 and Exodus 3. All right. And what we're doing is we're going to use Moses as a model to kind of help us understand, in my opinion, Moses is one of the best leaders in scripture and his process, God's process of preparation for him helps us learn how we must be preparing for the miraculous moments. God is asking us not just to step into, but to steward. And I know it's not yet, but a now is coming, but now won't come if you're not prepared to steward it, all right? Okay, so here's the first thing, and some of this stuff you've heard me talk about before, but I remember Dr. Hayford saying once, uh, the human condition is such that you must repeat things at least seven times for a human to even start getting what you're saying. <laughs> so some of this, uh, these are things that I talk a lot about because until everybody starts crushing it with these things, I gotta keep repeating it, all right? So here's the first thing as we talk about preparation for the moment that's coming, the race God is uh, going to ask you to step into and run at some point. First thing, you got to prepare 10 times more than you think is needed. Don't prepare as much as you think you need. Whatever you think that amount of preparation is, multiply it by 10. All right. Watch this. Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 20 says, at that time, Moses was born, 
a beautiful child in God's eyes. His parents cared for him at home for three months. When they had to abandon him, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and raised him as her own son. Moses was taught, he grew up in Pharaoh's house for 40 years, Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And he was powerful in both speech and action. So notice, he was prepared in the house of Pharaoh. And the way you know he was prepared, by the time he was done at 40, he was powerful in both speech and action. Verse 23, one day when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. So you see, Moses spent 40 years growing up in Pharaoh's house in order to be prepared for the next stage of his life. Let's talk about you for a sec. Have you ever been around someone who thought they were so awesome, they felt they never had to prepare for anything? People who think they can just show up and wing it are the people who may get into the room, but they are never able to stay in the room. Preparation is what qualifies you to stay. Preparation is where someone with great potential actually becomes someone who is truly powerful. But here's what I've learned. Most people hate God's process of preparation. Before the big moment, a lack of preparing can feel awesome. Almost like you're getting away with something until you're in the moment and you're faced with the weight of the moment. You don't experience regret over a lack of preparation until you're embarrassingly overwhelmed and exposed due to your lack of preparation. Let me say something which might scare you a little bit. If you're not ready when the race starts, God won't allow you to run that race. It doesn't mean you're disqualified as a runner. It just means you're disqualified from that particular race. There is a huge race God is about to ask you to run. But my question for you is this. Are you preparing for it? I can't answer that question. Only you can answer the question. Are you prepared to run the race? Don't sit around and talk about the fact that God's called you to run a race. Are you preparing for it? A moment is coming. I'm going to kind of share something that's a little bit close to home, but you know how I roll. I want to teach you what I'm learning real time. I didn't know we would change our church's name to Pillar. When the Lord changed it essentially four years ago in private, it took me years to get used to it, but I, I could sense that a tidal wave was coming. And I felt the Lord say, Preston, you have three years now to prepare for what's next. I was driving out of my driveway into my cul-de-sac and literally felt the Lord say, say the egg timer's starting. You have three years to prepare. I'm telling you this race is coming. Your responsibility is to be prepared for it. So I battened down the hatches and went to work for three straight years to do my best to be prepared for everything I sensed God was asking me to step into as we made the transition. But when we started this race by switching to pillar, I noticed others weren't quite as ready to run the race. They didn't necessarily fully prepare for this race. But here's the good news about God. God has an, an awesome race. If someone's not ready for a race, God has another race that's awesome for them to run. If we'll begin to prepare now for it. Listen, you never just run one race in your life. God's going to put you in different races, ask you to steward various holy moments and, and holy responsibilities. Okay, Those come from him. You don't establish them. But your responsibility is to be prepared. And if we're talking preparation, my advice is always prepare 10 times more than you think you need to prepare because the race is going to be six times harder than you could ever imagine. Here's the second thing as we talk about uh, building a life that can withstand kingdom-sized opportunities. Number two, Learn how to handle huge mistakes. Flip over to Exodus chapter 2. 
verse 11, we see a transition. Moses goes to visit uh, his brethren, the Israelites, uh, at the 40-year mark of growing up in Pharaoh's house. Verse 11 tells us what happens. Many years later, 40, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions, I love that part, to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. The next day, when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend, Moses said to the one who had started the fight. The man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me just as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Watch this. Then Moses was afraid, thinking, everyone knows what I did. Another way to say it, everyone knows the mistakes I've made. Listen, you will always feel overwhelming pressure until you learn how to handle your most embarrassing and costly mistakes. Let me try and paint a picture uh, because I think this, this fear of making mistakes uh, isn't just about a fear of failure. I think it's about a fear of perception. Imagine you are uh, a world-class basketball player. You're in the NBA, WNBA, and uh, you're in the finals, and this is a clinching game. You can win it all. You're at the free throw line, and before you go, it's tie game. You have one more free throw, and you, instead of thinking about making the free throw, you're thinking about what all the fans will think if you miss. You're thinking about what the fans are even thinking real time. Do they think I can make it? Do they think I'm going to miss this? While you're shooting a free throw to win a game. What's going to happen? You're probably going to miss. You're probably going to miss. If you are more concerned about what people think in terms of your successes and failures, here's what I'm pretty certain of. You're not really going to do very much. I don't think everybody's just afraid of failing. I think they're afraid of being seen as a failure. And that's a per perception of man problem. You got to learn how to deal with your most embarrassing and costly mistakes. Well, Preston, Moses' mistake was sin. No, no. He made a mistake and then he sinned. Moses' mistake was letting his anger go uncontrolled. He gave vent to all of his anger, which led to his sin. And his sin was letting his anger lead to murder. This is Ephesians 4. In your anger, do not sin. It's not a sin to be angry. Moses' anger wasn't a sin. What he did next was a sin. But if, if he would have real time been able to, to identify he was making a mistake in his emotion, he was going too far. But because he didn't deal with the mistake, what did he do? He compounded it by turning the mistake of sin, uh, the mistake of anger into the sin of murder. Okay, let's get back to you. You will rarely experience success when you feel you're defined by your failures. What does scripture say Moses thought was when his two Hebrew brethren called him out? His first thought was, oh, shoot, everyone knows my mistakes. He wasn't just afraid of the penalty that comes with murder, even though Pharaoh does find out and chases him to kill him. That's not Moses' first thought. His first thought is, oh, man. Everybody knows my mistakes now. You've got to be kidding me. Okay, this is jacked. And I used to live like this too. Maybe you do right now. You, you got you to gotta learn how to deal with your mistakes. Because trust me, if you're going to lead and if you're going to steward anything God asks you to steward, you're never going to bat a thousand. I try and talk to you about my mistakes all the time. For two real good reasons. First, I want to normalize mistakes for you. 
the more I talk about my mistakes, some of you think, oh, Preston probably doesn't make mistakes hardly at all. Talk to my wife. Talk to my kids. Talk to the team around me. I am not perfect. Neither are you. But I'm not trying to be perfect. So when I talk to you, I never pretend to be perfect. Because I want to normalize mistakes. Because if I don't normalize mistakes for you, you are less inclined to have the courage to go make some. But listen, there's a selfish reason why I talk so much to you about my mistakes. I also want to normalize mistakes for me. Do you understand how genius this is as a leadership strategy? The more I talk about my mistakes, the more I'm reminding myself I'm in a safe place to not have to be perfect. I don't have to have a a, a perfect batting average. I'm never going to. But if I back myself into a corner and act like I've got to be perfect, here's what's going to happen. I'm never going to step out in courage and walk by faith. And if I don't do that, I can't be trusted by God to steward a holy moment. And please hear me. Holy moments don't just happen in church. Don't be saying, well, pastors experience holy moments. No, 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 no. The children of God experience holy moments. What's a holy moment? A holy moment is a normal moment the God of the universe steps into. That can happen in the business room. That can happen in the living room. That can happen in the, the church house. That can happen in the car. That can happen in the kitchen. Holy moments can be stewarded by any child of God. It starts as a normal moment that God steps into with you. Listen, I want to normalize mistakes with you. It's one of the things I consistently try and do. I try and send the message. I make mistakes. Here's why that's not disqualifying. I don't hide them. I learn from them. You got to learn how to deal with your most embarrassing and costly mistakes. Moses made a huge mistake that led to huge sin. And I believe because he hadn't learned how to deal with his mistakes, his first thought when he was found out was, what are people going to think? He wasn't trying to learn anything. He was trying to hide something. That's why he ran. Here's the next thing that Moses teaches us as we go on in Exodus chapter 2. If you're going to handle the pressure of kingdom-sized opportunities, you got to be clear on what God can do with your mistakes. One of the best ways to get comfortable with mistakes is to remember what God can do with them. Look in verse 15. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. Now, why is this important? Because it seems like, well, Moses is caught in the sin of murder. People saw him do it. His first reaction is to run, to run away from the people. And you would think, well, Moses is in rebellion. He's supposed to stay right there in the heart of Egypt. Not necessarily. Listen, we don't always know what will precipitate the next step God asks us to take or the next moment we step into to steward in his behalf, we don't know what's going to kick it off. I know this might surprise some of you. Sometimes running can kick it off. Here's why. Because God is sovereign. He can take anything I throw at him and turn it for my good and his. Moses runs out of fear of the penalty for murdering the Egyptian. But watch where his running takes him. Keep going in verse 16. When Moses arrived in Midian, he sat down beside a well. Now, the priest of Midian had seven daughters who came as as usual to draw water and fill the water troughs for their father's flocks. But some other shepherds came and chased these women away. So Moses jumped up and rescued the girls from the shepherds. Then he drew water for their flocks. Why is this important to understand? Because this is where Moses meets his wife, Zipporah. What led to him meeting Zipporah? Running. More specifically, running in fear. <laughs> Listen, you need to take the pressure off of yourself and stop acting like 
You have to be awesome and perfect all the time to end up in the center of God's will. Listen, your responsibility is to walk in intimate fellowship with God and let him move all the pieces of your life. It seems as we read the story, Moses is running in the opposite direction of where he's supposed to be. But his 40-year season in Pharaoh's house had come to an end. And his running kicked off a new 40-year season where he would be shepherding in Midian. He finds his wife there. And he learns so many incredible lessons that will come in handy later in his life as he's leading God's people through the wilderness for 40 years. Listen, when you run with the sovereign God, even when you run away, you end up in exactly the right place. And I'm not talking about some K-sera-sera, fate type, whatever will be, will be situation. No, 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 no. No, when you walk intimately with God and do your best to obey every word that comes out of his mouth, you don't have to worry about moving the pieces of your life. Even when I run in what seems like the wrong direction, I will still stumble into God's will for my life. This is how Moses finds Zipporah. Listen, take the pressure off of yourself. Sometimes God uses our mistakes to get us right where we need to be. I just sense the Holy Spirit saying a little something to somebody who just lost their job. And I want to be really careful with this. You just got fired. And for cause, you made a mistake. Should it have completely led to your firing? I don't know. Did it? Yes. Here's what I sense the Holy Spirit saying. Learn everything you can from this mistake. I am with you. Where repentance must take place, repent. Honor as you go. Father has something new. So stop beating yourself up. My mistake cost me my dream job. Listen, Moses had grown up in Pharaoh's house. Holmes was eating some of the best food in all the earth. He ran away from all of that, the trappings, and stumbled his way to a well where his wife sat. This is why at 45, I'm just not as worried as I used to be about making mistakes. I'm not. I, 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 I'm going to make them. It's okay. And I know I've been talking to you about this, but listen, I, I'm talking to myself. Maybe you don't need to hear it. I do. I, I'm starting to feel a new pressure that I haven't felt at any point in my career. And, and I'm telling you, if I don't remind myself, I don't have to get it perfect every single time. I just have to learn when I trip. I got to make sure I fall forward, not backwards. If, I, if I'm going to stumble, I'm going to stumble stepping out in faith. I don't want to fall back because of fear. But look, even when Moses ran back, ran away in fear, God still turned it for his good. It's crazy. It's literally crazy. Stop pressuring yourself to be perfect. If you want to be trusted by God in high pressure situations, in kingdom size opportunities, you got to stop thinking so much about the weight of your mistakes. Even if it costs me my job, God will make sure I get to the next bus stop on time. Holla at your boy. This is what I'm talking about. He is faithful even when I fail. Love it. Here's the next thing. Uh, and, and this one is for a, a very specific group of you. All right. It's for all of us. But there, I, I sensed as I was preparing for this, this is for a very specific group group of us. Here's the next thing. Embrace faithfulness in small opportunities. I know we're talking about being prepared for a kingdom-sized opportunity, but scripture is very clear that we'll never be asked to steward the big opportunity if we're not faithful in the small opportunity. Look at Exodus chapter 3, now in verse 1. Now Moses and Midian, okay? One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. 
He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. What was Moses doing just before the burning bush? We're going to camp here for a sec now. I'm going to sit here for a little while. I'm going to get comfortable even in my cowboy boots. I'm telling you right now, you, you need to pay attention to this right here. Moses comes out of Pharaoh's house. The most extravagant palace in the land. Egypt was at the top of the food chain on the earth at this point in time. And Moses grew up at the pinnacle of the most powerful nation on the earth. He had access to anything he wanted growing up as the child of Pharaoh's daughter. And now he's left it all. And what's he doing? I don't know what he was doing in Pharaoh's palace. But what's he doing now in in Midian with his father-in-law Jethro? He's tending the sheep. Don't you know our God loves some tending of the sheep? He loves it. I don't fully understand why, but time and time again, some of God's favorite people end up caring for God's sheep. David? Anybody? <laughs> I mean, you can go down the list. Abraham, people, people be having sheep everywhere. It's like a lineage thing. It's a family thing. I think one of the reasons caring for sheep is such a big deal is because it represents what appears to be a smaller opportunity. Let me, let me try and help you see this, okay? He leaves the palace. I don't know what, he, I mean, he's 40. So you, you know he had some kind of role in the palace. He was doing something. Now he's tending the sheep. Could Moses have griped and complained to God? What in the world? Why am I out here in Midian? I was in the palace eating Pharaoh's finest foods. I, I led people. People did what I told them to do. And now you have me tending sheep out in the middle of nowhere? We never see Moses talk like that. We never see Moses complain like that. What we do see Moses is faithful, even in a really small field, even though he was called and he knew it to a much larger field one day. Most of the people who are never trusted by God with big opportunities disqualified themselves in a much smaller opportunity. He'll never be trusted by God to steward a nation with thousands of fields and millions of people until you learn how to steward a single field with hundreds of sheep. Everything God asks you to do today is connected to what he wants to entrust to you tomorrow. But you can't look at today's small assignment as a curse. Number one, it's not small. If you see it as small, you'll act small as you steward it. Stop acting like the thing God's entrusted in your hands today is small. You must not see today as a stepping stone. Today's small task is actually the main stage of preparation for tomorrow. So stop calling it small. Unfortunately, this hasn't always been my path. When I was young in ministry, um, I was a youth pastor. That's how I started at Gateway in Dallas. And to be honest, the first couple years, I didn't take it that seriously. Um, and here's why, because I was paid part-time. And so because I was paid small, half-time, I behaved small. And I almost got fired for it. I almost got fired not because I, I wasn't a man worthy of my hire. The problem was I almost got fired because I was acting like I was a man only wor worthy of what I was being paid in that job. I was being paid $24,000 and 
the 21 year old me was like, this, this is nothing. And I know it's a lot of money, but my attitude was so bad. And I, I realized years later, I was looking at something small. God put small, please hear my heart. I'm not, I, I, I'm, I want to be really careful. $24,000 is a lot of money. Okay. Uh, but I saw it as small and now I realize it's because God was teaching me. Nothing is small when God gives it to you. Nothing. How could anything ever be small if the God of the universe, who has all power in heaven and on earth, is the one who gives it to you? Ain't nothing small coming from a big God. It's just you see it as small. I learned my lesson when I stepped in as young adults pastor by that time. I knew I was going to go on to senior pastor because I felt the Lord making it very, very clear. Well, I treated young adult ministry totally differently than I treated youth ministry. And I know this is about ministry and those of you in the business world, uh, just, just use your field and, and put this skin over it. But this was my field growing up. I treated young adults ministry totally differently than I did youth ministry. I behaved as a young adult pastor like I thought I needed to behave when I became a senior pastor. And wouldn't you know it? As an associate pastor, there was nothing I did where God blessed me more or seemed to bless me more than when I was a young adult pastor. Far more, exponentially more than when I was a youth pastor. And it wasn't because I, I wasn't a good youth pastor. It was because I wasn't taking it seriously enough. And when you're not taking today seriously enough, you are absolutely unprepared to steward tomorrow. You can't see today as a stepping stone. What a show up to God. Yes, today is a part of the journey. It's not the destination, but you can't see it as a stepping stone. Well, I won't be here long. I won't be here long. Just doing my thing to get to where I'm going. How disrespectful to the place God has you in today. Well, Preston, I'm, and I'll just throw something out that some people think is a less respectful line of work, which I totally disagree with. But Preston, I'm, I'm a janitor, but I know I'm going to be the CEO at some point. Uh, okay. God has you as a janitor today, bring a spirit of excellence into the bathrooms and into the lobby and into the C-suite. I think it's a genius thing for the Lord to have you cleaning up the C-suite long before he ever anoints you to sit and lead in the C-suite. Today is not a stepping stone. Moses' 40 years in Midian were supernaturally significant. And watch what happens. This very, very next verse in Exodus 3. He's tending the sheep, bro. He left the palace. He's caring for sheep. Ba-ba sheep. And watch what happens next as he's faithfully stewarding without complaining the task God had set before him. Verse 2. Remember, Moses leads the flock out into the wilderness, comes to Sinai, the mountain of God. Verse 2. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. The holy moment. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, I'm sure the Lord loved that. God called to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. This is one of my favorite holy moments in Scripture because God appears to a man who would become his friend and probably already the man whose heart had been cultivated for friendship with God. But what was Moses doing before the burning bush? He wasn't leading all the leaders in the palace. He was caring for the sheep while no one was watching. Before Moses ever, because remember, we're in the 40-year middle. 
40 years in Pharaoh's house, 40 years in Midian, 40 years leading the people in the wilderness. We're in the 40-year middle. I believe God is teaching Moses how to lead the people. Well, Preston, how is God teaching Moses to lead the people using the burning bush? Oh, it, it's, in my opinion, really simple to understand. Before Moses ever went out to stand before the people years later, God first stood before him. This is part of what's so significant about the burning bush. Let, let's try and apply this to me. And you can apply it to you. People ask me because of my line of work, uh, communicating in public as a preacher and pastor, I get asked every once in a while, Preston, do you get nervous being in front of a lot of people? And, and here's the answer. I, I really don't. I get excited, um, but I don't get nervous. Nervous to me is scared. Excited is a positive thing. Nervous is a negative thing. Okay. I don't get nervous in front of people. Well, Preston, how come you don't get nervous? Well, because before I go out in front of the people, I have to privately stand before God. And it's Exodus 3 that reminds me of this. Preston, before Moses goes out to lead, Moses stood before me. Okay, now let me try and put even more uh, skin on this bone. Okay, let's talk about Tiger Woods and his son, Charlie, for a sec. Okay, I'm fascinated by this dynamic. Um, you could say about LeBron and his boys and now his daughter. I'm fascinated when you watch, and LeBron isn't the GOAT, Michael is, but LeBron, he, he's up in the top two or three, okay? I know I just started an argument. Uh, don't be jumping in those comments saying LeBron is the GOAT, okay? I already know if you say LeBron is the GOAT, you are younger than, shall I say, 32 years old. Everybody else knows Mike is the GOAT. That's neither here nor there. Okay, let's talk about Tiger Woods and his son because I'm fascinated with these heroic athletes who are some of the greatest of all time and then they have children who end up playing the sport that they were, their fathers were so famous for, all right? And I've always wondered, like, what's it like for Charlie Woods to play in front of Tiger Woods? I mean, imagine every day of your life practicing and playing in front of the greatest Whoever lived. I don't know if Charlie was nervous early on. He, he was so young, he probably wasn't. But I saw a, a, a clip of Tiger talking about teaching Charlie how not to be nervous in front of a bunch of people, that every shot is just a shot. But what Tiger didn't say is I think Charlie has had a, a leg up on all of his peers and competitors because he grew up with the eyes of Tiger Woods on him at all times. A million people who are terrible at golf watching Charlie Woods is nothing compared to constantly being watched by the greatest to ever play the game. I don't get nervous in front of a million of you because I grew up being constantly watched not by the goat, but by the lamb. His eyes have been on me since before the days of my, mother's, of my birth and my mother's womb. Listen! Charlie Woods is too busy looking over at his dad in a tournament to see his father's reaction that he hardly even knows you're watching him. In the same way, I am so obsessed with my father and his reaction to what I am doing that sometimes I don't even notice you're in the room. Moses experiencing a holy moment is a powerful teacher for us. Listen, God is with you. I think you need to be more mindful of that. Stop acting like he isn't. Here's the next thing. If you're going to be able to handle high-level pressure, stepping into steward kingdom-sized opportunities, you must learn how to deal with your doubt. You must. Verse seven of Exodus three. So the, uh, and, and I think some of us forget that this disagreement between Moses and God happened at the burning bush. 
I think we act like it's like later down the road. No, God appears to Moses in a burning bush. And watch the direction Moses takes the conversation. The God of the universe is visiting him. Put yourself in his shoes. And listen to what God says. Then the Lord says to Moses, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, a land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. You might be thinking, Preston, why are you reading this? Because this is always a good reminder when we see Israel having to defend its existence, not just its territory. God gave that land. Verse 9, look, God says, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I've seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, Moses, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. Watch this. Remember, Moses is in this holy moment. He's in it. God is appearing to him. Think of all the things you would say if God appeared to you for the first time in a burning bush. After Moses says, here I am. Listen to the next words out of his mouth. But Moses protested to God. Verse 11 says, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? What? Are you good, bro? The God of the universe has appeared to you. And he's calling you. He's revealing the call of God on your life. And your first words involve doubt. I think you and I are just like this. I'm not telling you, get rid of all your doubt. I'm telling you, I'm learning. Doubt creeps up every once in a while. You have to learn how to deal with it. Why do we doubt? Why do you doubt you? Why do I doubt myself? Well, you know you better than anyone else ever will know you. I know me better than you or anyone else will ever know me. You know your biggest weaknesses. You know every reason you should be disqualified from the race. You know the ugliest of the ugly about you all too well. And I know it about me. This causes us to doubt. Here's Preston's paraphrase of what I feel like Moses is saying to God out of his heart. I think he was undone, number one, by encountering the presence of God. But I also think this great God is saying, I've given you a great call. And quite possibly Moses, out of holy respect and awe, of and for God. Moses says, God, you're awesome. This call is awesome. But God, I am not awesome. I can't pull this off because I'm me. You're you and you're perfect and you're awesome. And this call that you're saying you're trying to give me is awesome, but I'm not awesome. And I am fully aware of how not awesome I am. God, I killed somebody. You know that had to be part of what Moses was thinking. Moses knew his biggest failures. He knew his biggest weaknesses. Because of that, he felt he knew why he should be disqualified from ever even running the race as Israel's leader. I must ask you a question that I wish I could have asked Moses. If I'd have been riding shotgun with him, who are you to argue with the creator and sustainer of the universe? I get it. He's come to you and said, there's something I want you to accomplish and I'm preparing you for it, but it's huge because every call of God is God sized. 
That's why it's not called a call of man. It's a call of God. If God sees fit to give a call of God, it's God's size, not man-sized. So of course we're going to say, well, Lord, who am I? But I got to ask you. I'm not asking about your resume. I'm asking you about you. Who are you to argue with God if God says, this is what I created you to do? No matter how much doubt you have in yourself, in a moment like Moses has with God, you have two options. You can either doubt God, you can take your doubt in yourself and turn it into doubt of God, or even in spite of your doubt for yourself, you can say, but God, I don't doubt you. I trust you. Watch how God, though, deals with Moses' doubt. And I think this is how he deals with my doubt. He just did it this morning. I think this is how he deals with your doubt. Verse 12, God answered, Moses. <laughs> I, I try to get through multiple episodes without crying, but I, I just, it, it, I don't care. These words right here are some of the most special words that I ever hear myself say that God says to us. God answers Moses. Moses is saying, but God, I can't, I can't pull this off. Who am I to pull this off? And God says, Moses, listen to me. I will be with you. Preston, listen. Here's how you're going to pull it off. I will be with you. And then God says, to confirm it, this is your sign that I'm the one who has sent you. This isn't some emotion, Moses. This is my call. Here's how I'll confirm it. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. Moses, I'll, I'll bring you right back here. That's how you know. It was me who did all this. It was me who was with you the entire time. Moses, Preston, Sarah, Robert. Here's how God says you need to overcome any of your doubt in yourself. God says, I'll be with you. I, I, I don't know if this is even right or wrong. But every time I feel like God says that to me, I feel my, just the little boy pins his shoulders back. How could anyone ever be afraid of anything if the God who has all power in heaven and on earth says, Preston, I know it's big. I know it's overwhelming you, but I am with you and I will be with you. How do we not pin our shoulders back? I'm not going to get afraid. If he says, I am with you, your ability to accomplish the call of God in your life will come down to God's presence and God's power, not your performance. God is with you. You need to act like it. He's with us. Honestly, I wish I could just sit in this. I wish I, but if we're in a conversation, but if you weren't here, I promise you, I would just be sitting in this right now. <laughs> uh, one of my elders texted me this morning. I was in my prayer closet and, and I usually don't have my phone in my prayer closet, but this morning I wasn't listening to my normal soundtrack uh, of worship, um, accompaniment music. And I was listening, I was worshiping uh, full on and going from song to song. So I had my phone to kind of change the playlist uh, as I worshiped the Lord. And one of my elders uh, texts me and he said, hey, you're on my heart right now. I'm praying for you, uh, which always means a lot to me that I, while I'm praying, someone is praying for me. And uh, he said, I'm praying that God would give you the wisdom of Solomon and would protect you from the schemes of the enemy and 
I responded back to him and I just said, I, I am having the most amazing morning with the Lord. And I, I want to act every time I'm alone with him as though it's the very first time he's ever walked into the room in the burning bush. I'm shooting dead straight with you. I'm to a place in my life where if the call of God on my life this next 25 years comes down to my performance, we're all hosed. But the good news is the call of God on my life being accomplished isn't going to come down to my performance. It's going to come down to my obedience. The call of God in your life is not going to come down to your performance. It's going to come down to your obedience. Call of God in your life is going to happen because of God's presence and God's power. So when you hear him say, I will be with you, don't act like he's saying A, B, C, D, E, F, G. The God of the universe is making a statement to you. And you need to confidently receive it, even if you have doubt. God's answer to Moses' doubt in himself was God's presence. I am so grateful he doesn't give us a call and then expect us to pull it off all by ourselves. Listen, I am telling you, there's a good chance that what God created you to do in your life that you have not yet fully stepped into, it's weightier than you can wrap your mind around. It's a kingdom-sized opportunity. It's only going to happen because of his power and his constant presence with you and your constant presence with him. How does God deal with your doubt? Preston's paraphrase, he says, chill, bro. I'm with you. Don't talk like that as we step into this next, next part, Preston. Don't have confidence in yourself. Listen, this is one of the reasons you got to be careful doubting yourself. If you doubt yourself when you feel weak, you'll be tempted to credit yourself when you feel strong. To be confident in yourself when you feel strength. No. Where does my help come from? <laughs> the one who is an ever-present help in times of trouble and every other time. Here's the last thing. Expect God to provide at just the right time. I kind of just, it's like an exhale. One of the things I've learned, having to steward some higher pressure moments because of kingdom-sized opportunities, is you have to trust that God is provider. And that he will provide exactly what is needed at just the right time. If you're in Exodus in your own Bible, flip to Exodus chapter 16. Now we're into the 40-year period in the wilderness. Moses is leading the people now. He is in the kingdom-sized opportunity. He is stewarding it faithfully. Watch what happens. Then the whole community of Israel, they've left Egypt, set out for Elam journeyed into the wilderness of Sin between Elam and Mount Sinai. They arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, and one month after leaving the land of Egypt. There, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. And check this out. If Moses had doubted himself, imagine what would have happened as he started to get word that the people doubted him too. This is why you can't doubt yourself when God is with you. Because there's always going to be people who doubt you. And if you doubt you, you will believe the lie of everyone else who doubts you. You either believe what they say or you believe what God says. The people are complaining about Moses and Aaron. Listen to what they say. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt. Think about that statement. God rescued them and they're saying, we're so miserable out here. God should have just killed us in Egypt. There, we sat around pots 
filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you, Moses and Aaron, have brought us into the wilderness to starve us all to death. Watch how the Lord responds. Then the Lord said to Moses, look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day, the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. He's the God who provides. You have to trust and believe that when you step out in faith, I'm not talking about stepping out to fulfill some dream of your flesh. I'm talking about when you step out in obedience, walking by faith, and and there's a need that you have and you don't have the ability to meet that need or fulfill that need. You need to trust and believe if God is asking and calling you to take that step that he's going to provide everything needed to pull that next step off. Here's the great news. While God did give the people of Israel food, God doesn't just give you the food you need. He gives you everything you need. If you fast forward to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, Jesus says he is commissioning his disciples, and and he says, when you're arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at just the right time, for it is not you who will be speaking. It will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. (laughs) So now I'm going to try not to cry much through this part, but I feel like the Lord put this in for me, and so I don't, uh, you know, I hope and trust he'll use it to speak to you. But this one hit home for me this morning. Um, not going to lie. I'm really grateful for all that God has done the last nine months. Um, but from this little boy's perspective, it's a lot. Um, and I don't, I'm not overwhelmed by it. I'm just trying to process it all. And from time to time, um, I'm just being totally honest right now. <laughs> I'm vulnerable and transparent. Um, I'm grateful for how God has used what I feel he's been saying this last nine months. But every once in a while here lately, with the way God has supernaturally uh, causing things um, to be blessed, I'm hearing this little voice. And I know it's not the Lord and I know it's not me. I know it's the enemy, but this is what I hear. You're going to run out of things to say. And I've never heard that before. <laughs> um, and it, it, the first time I heard it, it was off-putting. It, it, it just it messed with me a little bit. And then I heard it again. And it's interesting. The more you hear a lie from the enemy, the more tempting it is to start believing it. Preston, how do I know I'm starting to believe a lie of the enemy? You're starting to feel stress when you hear him say the lie. And so it got to a, it started to get to a place where when I would hear him speak that lie, it would make me tense up. You're going to run out of things to say. Listen, stress precedes agreement. And it kind of reveals that you're already starting to agree. So it's like, Lord, I'm, I'm going to run out of things to say. And this morning I said to him, what if I run out of things to say? And I felt the Lord go, it's so sweet and so correcting. Preston, do you think it's you who's talking? And I said, I don't want it to be. I said, well, if you don't want it to be, if you don't want to be the one talking, why would you ever need to be worried about running out of things to say. I'm the God who has no limits, son. And the weight of this isn't on you. So when I read Matthew 10, I just felt the Lord with that divinely sarcastic grin. Like, boy, I got your number today. (laughs) Because I read the verse after I had this conversation with the Lord. God doesn't just give us the food we need. He gives us everything we need. And I was reminded of it this morning. Listen, God is going to ask you to take some steps 
that might scare you a little bit, but you have to remember he is with you. This is serious. The burden when God first gave this to me a couple weeks ago was like he wanted me to grab you by the ears and say, something is coming. Something is coming. There is a, and this isn't rah, rah, like, ooh, get excited. It's get ready. Something is coming. There's a moment, a holy moment. God is asking you to steward in your field, the field he entrusted to you. You got to be ready for it, but you got to remember he's with you. And it's the, the pressure to steward it is not on you to pull it off. And the pressure is not on God. He feels no pressure because he has all power in heaven and on earth. He is with you and he is going to give you everything you need as you endeavor to stick like Velcro to his side. I don't want to be any further than this right here. And one of the most amazing things about trying to be this close to the God of the universe is you get a front row seat to see the waters part. He is with you. It's on him. It's not on you. Obedience is on you. Outcome is on him. I don't want to sit around and think about the big things that might be coming. I just want to sit in an eight by 10 room and fixate on how big my God is. When I was 21, all I did was talk about the big calling. At 45, I don't want to talk about the size of anything anymore. I just want to talk about him. His size. And that's when I don't feel pressure. It's when I get so focused on him and who he is and how big he is that I don't worry about how big the moment is. And like right now, I'm, I forgot for a couple minutes you're even here. It's the most freeing feeling in the world. And I know not everybody made it to the end of this episode, but for those of you who did, I hope you're having an even more holy moment there with the Lord than I am right here, right now. When I was 21, shoot, when I was 13 and I felt the Lord start to speak to me about the call on my life, all I did for nearly a decade was talk about the size of it. And all it did was create pressure for me. And when I felt pressure, every time I would step into high pressure moments to steward a kingdom size opportunity at that stage of my life, I failed in almost all of them. And the reason was, because I wasn't doing anything to prepare. I was celebrating about the size of the call rather than preparing in a commensurate manner for the weight of the call that God would ask me to carry with him throughout the days of my life. I'm telling you something's coming. Something is coming. And I pray to God you're preparing for it. Stop playing around. You got divine DNA running through your veins. You are not a God, as some religions teach. You most certainly are not the one true God. I'll tell you what you are. Jesus is Lord and Savior. You're a child of God. And if you're not yet a child of God, shoot me a DM on Instagram. And let's talk. You're a child of God if you've given your life to him and established him as Lord over your life. He is Lord, but is he Lord over your life? Listen to me. I'm not God but I am his child. And every child of God has a call of God. And it feels a lot more like the size of God than the size of man. And he set it up that way, and here's why. So that the two of you would do it together. You better be getting ready. No more excuses. It's almost here. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to go through the points that I gave you today. Hopefully you wrote them down. 
go through them and answer this question. Where do I need work? In which of these areas do I need work? I need to start working harder than I've worked. If you've got doubt and you're not dealing with your doubt well, get to work. If you're semi-occasionally spending alone time with the God of the universe and so you're rarely hearing him say, I am with you, you need to get to work. If you're walking through every day of your life and you really don't feel like there's some big need you have as you take some big step of faith, you need to get to work. You're terrible at the way you see your mistakes. Get to work. Do what must be done today so that you're ready to steward what God asks you to do tomorrow. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for my family. I'm so grateful to be a part of this family. I'm so grateful that you allow me to be a part of this conversation. But I'm most grateful, God, that you are in the conversation. There is no reason to sit at this table if you aren't seated there with us. God, it's a lot to wrap our minds around, just like it was for Moses, that the God of the universe would ever specifically ask and call us to do anything. But you do. And you love it. And you love to do it together with us. And you love it when we desire to do it together with you. Lord, I pray you would put on each of our hearts a greater burden for holy preparation. May your children consecrate themselves, set themselves apart because they are set apart. May they set themselves apart in holy preparation for the holy moments which are coming. God, we trust that everything we need to faithfully and obediently step into those things, everything we need, you'll make sure we have. What we tell you right now, what you can count on from us, we're going to chase you. We're going to listen to everything you say. We're going to yield to you. We're going to live our lives in a way where we're led by you. And we're going to prepare. Today is a day of preparation for tomorrow is coming soon. Bless my brothers and sisters as they prepare. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that was fun and a little bit different. Uh, these interviews don't got me crying all the time the way when you and I sit down, just something special happens every once in a while when I get to sit with you. And I'm so grateful that I do get to sit with you. And thanks for sitting with me. It's a privilege and it's, it's something I treasure. And I love it when God sits with us together. I pray the Holy Spirit spoke to you through this. Uh, and I can't wait to sit down with you next time. I love you so much. See you next time.